Welcome to Zen Bones, ancient wisdom for modern times. This is Mark Lesser. Why Zen Bones? Our world is in crisis and ever-shifting, and now, more than ever, more wisdom, clarity, and courage are essential, especially in the world of work, business, and leadership. I'm excited to introduce my guest, Elizabeth Lindsay, uh, anthropologist and a National Geographic Explorer. A terrific conversation where we discuss uh, the practice of wayfinding, right? The, the, the depth, the spiritual and practical way of uh, finding, finding your way in the world. We talk a little bit about time in which she describes some conversations with a uh, in indigenous teacher who says, you Westerners have many clocks, but not much time and do stay till the end when she does this amazing uh, uh, prayer for, uh, for well-being. Please join me as I have a conversation with Dr. Elizabeth Lindsay. Uh, this is Mark Lesser, and I am really thrilled to be here today with Dr. Elizabeth Lindsay. Elizabeth, uh, great to see you. Oh, Mark, it's a pleasure to be with you. Well, I want to jump right in with, uh, I've been really enjoying watching uh, TED Talk that you did in, in Maui, and uh, I, I, I found myself taking notes and writing things down like, uh, we forgot who we are, and deep knowing, and uh, find your way home. But I also loved you're talking about a uh, indigenous elder who said to you that uh, that we we people in our modern world have a lot of watches but no time and i know uh this is um a lot of the work that you do is bringing this uh indigenous wisdom uh ancient wisdom into into uh your life and into the world and uh, so can you, I, I'm curious about how you work with that and also what, um, yeah, how you practice and how you work with this question of having time. You know, it's a very, it, it, it's something that, that is a continual process for me. Because when I met this chief on this very small island about the size of an average American parking and shopping complex, I was racing toward an end of the island so that I could meet my crew. It was my first expedition, and I wanted to make sure that everyone was safe. And racing down this very small and narrow path, and this man walked toward me so serenely and nobly as I looked like I was, you know, a bat racing out of the front gate. And I was coming apart at the seams, which metaphorically was very interesting to me because there was so much serenity and groundedness in this man, and I was the complete opposite. And when he looked at me and he said, Dr. Lindsay, why do you go so fast? And it stopped me, and, and I started to explain that my crew was waiting for me, and I, I didn't want anyone to wait on me. He just, it was as if all of my explanation was just washing over him and none of it was really landing because none of it made sense to him. And as I saw his to me either. And 
Then he looked down at the ground and then looked at me and shook his head and said, you all have watches, but you have no time. And you know, Mark, since that moment, it was one of those pivotal moments in my life because I realized that so often I'm racing through getting my email done, my to-do list, onto the next thing, not present in anything that I'm doing. This, that one experience brings me back to center and said, where am I now? How do I bring the best of who I am to this moment? Because when I'm not present, I serve no one. And so that was a great teaching. It continues to be a great teaching. And though I'm not doing a lot of traveling right now because of the pandemic, um, I found myself racing through airports and then I'd hear his voice in my head and I'd start to slow down. And I'd just pause long enough to take a deep breath and exhale and return to center. And it, it's, it's a lesson that is continually teaching me. That's beautiful. And I think that's one of the um, enormous challenges of our, of our life, right? How our, our relationship with, with time and, uh, you know, it's interesting. It's also one of the, uh, uh, there's a, well, it's, it's funny. The things I think of as famous are famous in a very narrow world, but, but, uh, in the world of a Zen practice, there's a, uh, a, a story that, that basically ends with, um, you know, finding the one who's not busy finding the one who is the, the kind of the punchline of a, of a long story. And, and I think there's a sense of uh, that it's not about not doing things. It's not about being, uh, so I think the, the interesting question and challenge is how, how can we be engaged, active, product, you know, even productive, effective without losing ourselves, without losing ourselves. It's a very good question, and I find that in my experience, I'm much more effective when I am when I am truly present to this experience. For example, being with you, my prayer is to listen very deeply, not only to what you are asking or discussing in any moment, but to the spaces between your words. Because only then can I serve you. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, it's, yeah, there's a, uh, yeah, it's interesting what, um, what it actually means to listen, right? That all of the, that how the amazing ability we have to, to listen on, on so many different levels, right? As you say, the listening on, uh, the spaces in between listening, maybe listening for connection, listening for openness, for, for, for possibility. It's really true. It's because our deepest connection, I was with an elder in Sardinia some time ago. She was 114. And I asked her through a translator how she remained so vital at 114 years old. And without hesitation, she said through the translator, I belong. And it was all about connection, a deep connection. Yeah, I, 
I, I also have, um, I'm curious what your thoughts about, um, you know, a daily practice and meditation practice. I, I often, I, I think of that in that um, so many people, when I bring up this question about uh, focus and a different relationship with time, and I, I suggest that uh, I, I think it can be uh, important, useful to have some way of stepping out of the stream of our of our busy daily lives, you know, whether you call it meditation or reflection. And I'm I'm often quoting um, the writer uh, Yuval Noah Harari, you know, who wrote uh, he wrote these two uh, best-selling books. Uh, one is called *Sapiens*, and the other is called *Homo Deus*. A beautiful, really interesting, interesting uh, history books, but they're they're he has a, a perspective on history about looking through the lens of fiction and how humans, uh, somehow something happened to the human brain that made us be able to communicate with each other globally, but having lost sight of what's real and what's fictional. But in any case, he then wrote, he wrote a third book called 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. And the 21st lesson is meditation. And he mentions that he spends two hours a day in meditation practice and that he couldn't have written these books without that practice. Now, I was like, wow, this is a great, um, I think to what you're saying that by having some way to cultivate more presence, we can actually be more effective. And this is something that it's kind of, I think you have to experience it. You know, it's easy. I notice there's a lot of skepticism about what do you mean by that? Right. I find that, um, you know, it's interesting because I spend so much time in very remote parts of the world because my focus, the focus of my research and much of my work is around an ancient practice of wayfinding. And what wayfinding means is to gain our bearings and, and the way that they do it on the ocean. For example, the wayfinders in the Pacific would sail across thousands of miles of open ocean without the use of maps or instruments. And the way that we physically wayfind is we synthesize all incoming data and information to gain our bearings. So we're using pattern recognition. But when we truly become masterful at wayfinding, we go to the intersection of the longitude of the mind and the latitude of the heart. And where the two intersect is the still point. And the, the most masterful wayfinders throughout the world that I have met and I have spent time with they find that still point, whether they call it meditation or reflection or contemplation, doesn't really matter what the world words are that they use, but it's a necessary part of wayfinding because they believe that that is where our internal guidance system is and our inner compass exists. So the answers that we seek are there at that, at that cross section between the mind and the heart. That's beautiful. You know, I think there's something about uh, even opening to 
the possibility that we can all be wayfinders, right? And 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 that we all have this uh, this deep, um, you know, inner inner intu- intuition. I think we all realize, you know, you know, uh, the the heart, the power of our heart. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting in the in a, a lot of the a lot of the work that I think we both do is working with organizations and, and with, with people who are actively wanting to um, solve real problems and make a better world, or, or maybe even starting. It's interesting. I was um, thinking of, you know, it, it's, it, I, I think it's hard to know. Does it, does it start with the individual or does it start with our community and support? But there's the individual work, there's the cultural work of our organizations, and then there's how we can uh, have even greater influence. And so much of it, I think, is the need—the need for more heart, the need for more. Ha- like I think, I think we still suffer from old, old assumptions that uh, you know, heart gets in the way of business or or getting things done. You know, it's all about. Uh, yeah, the head and drive. And I think that's a, I think we're in the midst of a great turning there, I, I, I think, and hope. I think a turning and a returning, because these ancient civilizations understood the necessity to bring the two together so that we can, I mean, you know, in our modern day world, we prize the mind over the heart. We marginalize the heart and we dismiss it so easily. And yet science validates the fact that all of the incoming data into our system comes through the heart and then is rapidly transmitted to the brain. So with that, it it speaks volumes about how important the heart is. But but even further, these cultures understood the intelligence of our systems and the, and the necessity that, that everything is so interconnected that you can't separate one from the other. So our knowing becomes very holistic. And, um, and, and it, it's interesting because the more I work with organizations around the world, I am seeing this shift occurring in their leadership because the fact is all of us are wayfinders. Not all of us realize that we are. And we are, the question that I'm often asked is, especially right now with the complex challenges that we face at a global scale, um, how do we navigate these unprecedented times? How do we navigate this complexity? And how are we able to find safe harbors because people are seeking stability, certainty, security, and organizations as well. So within organizations, the leaders are wayfinders. They must be wayfinders and navigators for their, for their companies. And oftentimes I am asked, help me get from where I currently am to where I need to be. And, and, for me, as a modern-day wayfinder, it's essential that they're able to understand that you cannot do it simply with the mind or with reason and logic. It requires instinct and intuition. And when you bring the two together, you're far more powerful and far more effective. So 
you know, that it, to dismiss the heart is 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 really a, a travesty in in many respects. Yeah, that that um, that concept of uh, in a way it's so obvious, but the concept that you just named of um, being aware of where you are and where you are wanting to be, and and again that can be you know from solving climate change to you know being better at working with conflict in your in yourself and there's and uh yeah and there's uh i think when we when we step into those gaps i i I call them you know there's different language um some people call them uh you know creative gaps or creative or creative tension that it's uncomfortable when we really realize when we realize we're 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 in that sea it's a bit unknown and our and and our emotions our heart is is there and i think there's a tendency in our culture especially to either um we either ignore it or suppress it or or get all embroiled this what i see a lot in organizations is people getting very embroiled in that sea of emotions and 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 culture the culture becomes a culture of a frustration and and um and i uh i've been you know i i am often uh finding myself thinking that like frustration is extra <laughs> Well, you know, frustration, I mean, when we really look, when we unpack it and and it's, 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 you know, it is such a drain on our precious life force, right? I, the beautiful thing about wayfinding, whether we're doing it on the ocean and we, we look at, at life in terms of waves and particles. You know, my mentor was able to go into a room of thousands of people and he would read them like weather conditions because he, you know, he was so masterful on the ocean. And what happens is he would recognize a lot of fear that we then name as other things, frustration, resistance, challenge, whatever it is. And what he would always say is you cannot become a master unless you're willing to lean into the storm. Do not run from it because fair weather will not make you a master. Lean into it. And it requires the kind of daring to say, one, I feel lost, or two, I don't know how to get from where I am to where I want to be. Um, but, But there is a power in feeling that degree of feeling lost, I believe, because it breaks... It, it it dismantles these narratives and identities and allows something else to emerge when we're willing to say, I feel lost right now, or I feel vulnerable and I don't know how to find my way. Suddenly something is birthed that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Yeah, the... <laughs> It's, it's almost like, I, I think, it, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I think of it also as a practice, like one of the things, you know, um, people, people come to, you know, contemplative practice or meditation practice want, you know, there's some, there's some, there's some, something we want, right. There's some idea, 
something we want or we want you know less stress or different strategies for dealing with anxiety or or we want to be better leaders but but to me uh the practice is as you're saying is to be willing to be lost Mm -hmm. or to be willing to not know uh to not know and uh right in the midst right of our grief and pain and and joy and joy and possibility right to like to that that sea and uh yeah i love your your image of the uh you know reading 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 people tasting tasting people's flavors as a way of opening and learning and being curious i i mean can you imagine because you know this our our experiences are dynamic we're dynamic so we're constantly shifting just like waves and frequency and so when you're able to go into a room and you're able to read and really become i mean part of the, the one of the the most important parts of wayfinding is this heightened state of awareness and because that's the only way a navigator can actually sail you know and for a very short time, I had the privilege of living with a tribe in the Andaman Sea who are sea nomads. They're nomads of the ocean. But they fascinated me because during the 2004 tsunami that killed, and I mean, it devastated Southeast Asia, but it killed hundreds of thousands of people that day. This small tribe of 2,000 people didn't even sustain injury. And as an anthropologist, I wanted to know what happened how they were able to do this and protect themselves and their community. What I learned was that the morning of the tsunami, a few of them had gone ashore to go and gather food to bring back for the rest of the the members of their community. And in this group was an elder. And when they went into the forest to gather food, he immediately realized the birds were not singing. He didn't know what it meant, but he knew that this was an important sign that they needed to pay attention to. And so he yelled to everyone to get to higher ground immediately. Now, the people who were in their boats on the water, um, going back to pattern recognition, recognized that the dolphins go into shallow water at this point of the day to rest. And they saw the dolphins racing out to deeper ocean. So they knew there was a break in the pattern and they followed, they raced out after the dolphins. So the, the point of all of this is when we begin to see, to, to really hone our awareness, and I believe that meditation and contemplation helps us do that. It cultivates a more subtle and refined state of awareness that we start to recognize things in our lives so that we can be aware that when something happens and when a change and shift occurs, that it means something. And, you know, in today's world, that could be that could be the volatility of the financial markets and organizations need to pay attention to this so that they can understand what and anticipate what may happen in the supply chain. And, you know, for us as individuals, we recognize interest rates are are rising and we need to be cognizant of the fact that that's going to mean higher prices for us. These are the ways that we wayfind in the modern world.
yeah yeah i think you know uh <laughs> you know we we do there's so many things that have the you know the the unintended the unintended consequences of things like you know greenhouse gases or um you know guns guns in our country and uh and and the need for responsiveness and wise wise action now and bringing 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 that um that, that kind of radical related radical but also very simple kind of re relatedness that you're describing yes I, I, a deep interconnectedness this recognition that everything has consequences and that our actions one of the most beautiful metaphors is that a canoe represents when we're when we're sailing the resources on those on our canoes are finite and that we are only as safe as the weakest member on the canoe. But how one person uses those resources affects the whole. And I would offer that the planet is our canoe. So how one country or one region of the world or one community or an individual uses these resources affects all of us. So I'm curious, uh, I'm curious, Elizabeth, given you know what a world we are living in right now there's no there's no uh shortage of um problems and things to be you know whether it's uh angry about or frustrated about or so what uh, what is it that gives you hope in this world now you know it's it's a wonderful question that you ask and i i can answer it in this way when I was a very young girl, my parents were educators, and they left us, they left my sisters and me in the care of three old Hawaiian women. And this was, this was in the very early 60s. And the women predicted these times, and they said this, there will come a time in the world that there will be many troubles um, there will be troubles in the environment with storms and radical shifts. And they were very specific. And they also predicted that in the halls of big business and politics, there would be great instability and conflict. And they said it will take the wisdom from the far edges of the earth to return the world to balance. And at seven, they predicted that I would, that that we always have choice, but that my life would would or could involve going to these faraway places to help keep this wisdom alive. But the part of their prophecy and their prediction that I want to share in answer to your question is this. They said, as you travel, it may feel like a lonely road, but you will look into the eyes of seeming strangers and you will find your ohana. In Hawaiian, that means family. It will take all of you to return the world to balance. And Mark, I believe that that's true. So, you know, for each of us, you know, as we see what's going on in the world and we want change, real change can only happen when we shift and we make those changes within ourselves. I mean, only then do we really serve. So when I see that my first and primary responsibility is to address any conflict I feel internally. 
then I can feel greater compassion for everyone I meet because I understand that the war or the conflict is always within. And, um, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful question that you ask, but this is the way that together we make change. We bring change about, and together we will bring the world back into balance. That's beautiful. Thank you. I wonder if there's um, something you would like to do, maybe lead a short practice of some kind, uh, you know, a guided meditation. I, I can't ask you to sing, even though I've heard you, I've heard you sing and perform beautifully. But any, but anything that you uh, like to offer as a, yeah, just as a way of helping to uh, bring people present right right now. Oh, that's so beautiful. Um, you know what I. It, it, it's and and this is this is something from the elders in Hawaii, and it's a it's a chant. And what it says is, "Grant that I may hear beyond my physical ability to hear, that I may see beyond my physical sight, and that I may know the heart, the the wisdom of my heart." And um, it was a chant that was composed by. Uh, a magnificent hula master named Auntie Edith Kanakaole. So this is a tribute to her, and this is an offering to your audience. Wow. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And uh, what a delight to uh, see you, spend time with you today. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for inviting me to your show. It's such a joy, one, to see you. I've always admired and loved you. And, you know, I'm, I'm so thrilled to, to be supporting your new show and, and wish you great success. Thank you. And where can people find you who want to find out more about what you're doing and your great work? Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for asking. I just, you know, I... You know, my my whole prayer is simply to serve. And um, while I'm not really, I haven't been active so much on social media, I'm becoming more active on LinkedIn. Um, so they could find me at Elizabeth Lindsay or at my website. And um, I, I really want to engage because we're at a time in the world that people um, simply want to be acknowledged and and feel like they are part of a, a fabric, of a, a humanity's fabric. And I want to make sure that they're seen and acknowledged in every way. Thank you so much uh, for being who you are and all of the beautiful energy, healing energy uh, and presence that you bring into the world. And I uh, hope to see you again soon. Thank you, Mark. Best wishes to you. Aloha. Listen in each week for interviews, teachings, and guided meditations. 
You'll receive supportive tools for creating more meaningful work and mindfulness practices to develop yourself, to influence your organization, and to help change the world. Thank you for listening.